The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey everyone, assalamu alaikum and welcome back to this Muslim Girl podcast. Today I have a brand new exciting episode for you all. I'm joined with Tara Ashraf who is an international communications and media professional. Um, she is also a staff writer for Brown Girl magazine and owns and writes her own blog called In Between American. She has a master's degree in international media from American University in DC and a bachelor's in communication Spanish and English from St. John Fisher College in Rochester, New York. As always, thank you for listening in, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome, Tara, to this Muslim Girl podcast. Um, Tara and I were just having a conversation about her name. I asked her, how do you want me to pronounce it? Because I wasn't sure. And she told me, Tara, right? And yes. so we were having this conversation about names and how we tend to simplify names whenever we want to introduce ourselves, especially living in the West, so that, I don't know, people might find it easier. And so I was telling her that I... I've been wanting to um, say my name as it's actually pronounced in Arabic because when I was in college, I had a friend who was a biology major and she said something that kind of stuck with me and it was that when you, when professors that come from overseas, from like European countries, from wherever, they don't oversimplify their names. Like they say it the way that it's supposed to be pronounced and the students have to learn how to say it. And I was like, online. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, why do I have to say nor although that's pretty much for me that it's become my name it's not an issue but sometimes I'm like why don't I just say my name is Noor my name is Noor Qofan but I say my name is Noor Qofan to simplify it right and then what what did you say you saw something on Pinterest so I saw something on Pinterest well there are two parts to this so yeah. when I was in high school my nickname was actually it doesn't matter because anytime somebody asked me is it Tara or Tara I would just say it doesn't matter because it didn't matter because neither of those were my name. Yeah. And recently I saw something on Pinterest that the author of Americana, whose name I cannot pronounce, but I have been practicing using the uh, dictionary.com app or the Merriam-Webster app, actually, how to pronounce her name. And her mother said, if Tchaik if we learned how to say Tchaikovsky's name right, and all these Russian ballerinas and mm -hmm. composers and Beethoven, why are we not learning your name? Why can't they learn your name too? And after I read that, I decided, well, forget it. <laughs> I want people to actually know me and know who I am, because part of who I am is my name and my identity. And 
I did feel like that for a long time, that the Americanized version of my name became my name. Mm -hmm. But when I, you know, it's complicated too, because our names have different meanings in different languages, right? Mm -hmm. So my name Thara in Urdu means star, but in Arabic it means wedding veil. In Irish it means bird. In English it means hill. So why don't I use the best meaning star, which is what yeah. my parents gave it to me for, <laughs> and actually? I mean, get that was people... the meaning that they were going for, right? Because that was the language. That well, they, they yes. So they picked a name that would fit for both Pakistan and the U.S. And they always told me that growing up that we picked a name that would work in both cultures. So both my sister and I have names that are Tara and Farah. They're both Pakistani, but they're also English words. Mm -hmm. So that is easy for people to pronounce here, but also back home. So it yeah. would honor both cultures. Nice. See, my my name, I feel like, is simplified. Um, mm -hmm. It's not that complicated. Nur is a very short name. But Nor is also, in the English language, it's the conjunction, you know? So like, and or Nor. Yeah. So when people yeah. say, how do you pronounce it? I'm like, Nor, like the conjunction, like... But is it really pronounced that way? No. The actual meaning of light in Arabic is nur, and that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. But I, like I said, I never gave it much thought until um, my friend pointed it out to me. But anyways, um, I'm so happy to have you on. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, like what you do, and then what kind of got you interested or into the field of, like, I know you write, um, and, and kind of the passion that's behind that? Sure. So I... I have a blog that's in between American and I started it a few years ago, actually, because of my mother, she asked me, you know, you have all these ideas and these passions for writing and for speaking up for the marginalized people. Why don't you talk about that? And why don't you put it into words so that you can really articulate it well? And you can find people that are like you or that feel the same way you do. Because a lot of what I was feeling frustrated with is that I'm consuming this media or I'm seeing these things around me and I'm not really finding myself. So I began this blog as a way to explore that, what it means to be this in-between person where I feel half Pakistani and half American, but I'm genetically not either, right? I live in the US, but genetically I'm Pakistani. Right. And socially, I'm very American. <laughs> so what does that mean? And how does that manifest itself? So I started this In Between American blog. And now I do some writing for Brown Girl Magazine, which is a magazine that's an online publication, which is for people of the South Asian community, but then um, different communities as well. So I did a few pieces for them. And now I'm doing some staff writing for them as well. So do you feel like this kind of navigating the two cultures. I know, I'm, I'm sure it presented itself as you're growing up and, and seeing that struggle. Do you feel like you've gotten to a point, because now you're writing about it, Do you, are you still struggling with it? Do you find that you're still having to navigate through that, but it's just easier because maybe the older you've gotten, you're, you're more in tune with who you are? I, it's still a struggle. It is still very much a struggle, especially because a lot of when I think about Pakistanis or think about Desis or think about Muslims in general in the news and in the media, they're always the bad guys. They're never the people that you want to be in the TV shows or in the movies. And it's that's funny because I feel like the 
well, if we're going to speak about like mm-hmm. the Pakistani community, mm-hmm. um, like most Pakistanis I know are doctors. Like they're never represented in that list. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like really right. educated individuals right. who, when they're portrayed on, on the on the screen, are either portrayed as, like you said, someone, people with ill intentions, or people who own corner stores. Yes. Yes. You know. And I found it. I was watching TV the other day with my husband, and he made this comment that I just thought was so funny. He saw an ad for another doctor show that's another white guy playing a doctor. And he looked at me and he said, why is it that whenever you watch a TV show about a doctor, he's white. But when you like walk into an actual hospital, they're all brown or yeah. <laughs> something not white. And, and let's and just said, only on TV. <laughs> yeah. And can we note that your husband is not Pakistani? So he's making this, Correct. he's making this, you know, um, He's making he's he's noting this, being as a white male himself and yes. understanding yes. that, yeah, yes, very much so. And so that and truthfully, part of why I feel comfortable speaking up about it is because I have somebody and I have my parents and my sister and my husband who have been very supportive of that mm-hmm. and of speaking up about what those stereotypes are and how that really affects you. And what that does to somebody. So I think I'm the most vocal about it, but I would say he's second most. And then my parents just accept that that's part of the media. My sister just accepts that that's part of the media. Well, for the most part, I don't know about every day, but I mean, they probably don't necessarily accept it, but they're not taking action in the way that you are by writing about it and discussing it. Correct. There you go. That's a good way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. so, yes, and in real life, Pakistanis are doctors and engineers and lawyers, but then there are Pakistanis who are like me, right? I work in communications. I have my one of my best friends is a lawyer and she's Indian, but she went into it because she studied policy first. Mm-hmm. So interesting to see these different paths that we have taken. Why is it that every time we are portrayed, we're either the villains or we are the people that nobody wants to sit if nobody wants to talk to nobody i mean it just becomes more and more harmful over time and i think that's why so many people respond now to the diversification of media because they needed something like that growing up yeah and did you see the homecoming king special i think we talked about it but i don't remember if you did or not uh, Hassan- no, i don't think so uh wait wait the the indian american muslim comic yeah, yeah but which one was it it's the one on Netflix, and it's an hour, hour and a half. Oh, you're, okay, no, no, no. We're, you're talking about his, not uh, affirmative action, right? His stand-up. Yeah, yeah, stand-up. yeah I saw it, I saw yeah. it, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, yeah. like, the biggest fan of, like, stand-up comedy. It's, like, probably what all I watch on Netflix. Really? And, yes, I did see his, yes. Oh, my God, I love comedy. And I'm... the bad thing is that I have really, like, a really not-so-appropriate sense of humor. Like, I really like comedy. So, but, yeah, no, I love his stuff. No, I love his stuff. So I'm not a I'm not at all a stand-up comedy person no at way. all. So <laughs> I tried it. it. Well, I tried it after I saw a few of my Muslim friends had put up these things, and we go we used to go to a Muslim group in D.C. and they had all put up rave reviews about it. Yeah. And I was talking about it with a friend two or three weeks ago over dinner, and she is also Pakistani American, and she said, "When I saw that show for the first time, I felt like somebody saw me." 
Because that was a reflection of herself up there, right? In a yeah. sense. He doesn't have to be Pakistani. He doesn't even have to be Arab. But it's a it's a person of color that we can identify and relate with and kind of align with in, in the sense of, like, his journey, too. Because I believe his parents were the immigrants, right? But he grew up here. And he was, too. He was, too. He came when he was very little or something, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And so it's yeah. interesting to see, like, him and people also, like, Aziz Ansari, who has kind of a similar story, but, like, literally grew up, I think it's, like, in Texas or something, like, somewhere in the South. And <laughs> North like, Carolina. Yeah. North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you close your eyes, you wouldn't imagine that it's like this little, small, brown man, you know? Yes, um, yes exactly. Who's speaking. Exactly. But, yeah, so you and I have had a little bit of this conversation, and we were talking about the importance of representation in the media. Um, before I, I move on to that, I did have a, a kind of a side question, just out of curiosity, because I know you're married to um, your husband is white. Do you think, like, was he more, because you said he, he's, like, kind of notices it second after you. Do you mm-hmm. think it's after he met you and after being with someone who is a person of color? Or was this something that he was kind of aware of from before? Because I feel like every person might have that moment in time where they realize it because by association. So they either become mm-hmm. best friends or enter a relationship with someone and then it opens their eyes, which, I mean, exposure to us and knowing us is the only way you will actually are able to be somewhat empathetic or understanding mm-hmm. or be an advocate for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, so he had studied Islamic studies in college and he had studied mm-hmm. Arabic. So his Arabic is much better than mine. Really? Oh, then I should have said assalamu alaikum and, and spoken to him in Arabic when he popped up to fix your headphones. <laughs> uh, you should have. His, so I say that also because his Arabic is very, Pure Arabic. Mine is with the Urdu oh, slant, like so I say salaam, right? And you guys yeah. say assalamu. So yeah, yeah. the enunciation, man. Uh, yes, yes. Um, so he had the, that awareness. So he had that religious awareness already before he met me. But I think, as far as being vocal about it or noticing it on such a large scale, he notices it much more now, and he notices it in things that you wouldn't expect. So if we're watching a commercial or TV show, he doesn't dismiss what I have to say about it. He listens to it and says, okay, well, let me think about it. Let me decide. And then sometimes on his own, he says, well, I'm so glad that the women in that show, all the brown women were like sitting in a corner. Really? (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So I think it depends on the situation, but he started out a little bit more aware than you would guess. Yeah. And just, progressively got more and more especially observant. because he met someone who was vocal and I guess very attentive to it so I'm sure you brought it up a lot of times I think, I think so and so one of my best friends actually just texted me right before we got on this call and he and his wife live in a predominantly white area she te- but she teaches in a school that she is one of few white people you know whether it's are, the teachers or Black, brown, Latina, no, no, all sorts friend. of. You're, oh, you're they're, both, they're both. Oh, okay. Okay. They're both um, white. But he told me, oh, I want you to see this movie that's all about refugee rights and immigration. And they have been so good as well about being supportive and about noticing it and talking about it. And so I think when my husband learned that, okay, her friends also talk about it and it doesn't you know, create some kind of tension with her other friends then it's okay. Mm-hmm. I can also bring and I can also talk about it if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're staying woke as 
yeah. people say today. <laughs> they say, well, um, no, just being aware, you know, of, of the current situation of immigrants and refugees of all kinds. But obviously we know that it's, the you know, the southern border and then like the Arab Muslim refugees that are kind of being highlighted and kind of the issue towards that. But so I actually recorded a podcast a few days ago. By the time this episode goes up that one would have already went up and it was with Yasmin she has a podcast and a blog called she speaks diversity and she's actually in the in the journalism field and we talked a little bit about this about the importance of representation of Muslim women in media (coughs) more specifically because we are such a diverse group of women there's not one you know one picture or one image of a muslim woman that illustrates or portrays us all right and it's not even just about the outside that you had on (laughs) right like rebecca khan who you had on a few episodes ago exactly i think that people might listen to that and then like look her up and see wow you know she's a canadian blue-eyed blonde you know girl (laughs) and you know here she is she's you know dealing with her own type of uh, identity navigation but I think aside from the 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 kind of basics right like you don't wear hijab I wear hijab but mm-hmm. we understand because we are women and we are also speaking to other women and we're talking about it that we are all different so it's not it's not just what we were on the outside but it's who we are on the inside and so when you have someone who's like on the news station when you have someone who's a writer and on a blog when you have someone who's on a podcast whatever it is we have to, or I hope that through the work that we do, we're able to influence those people in media or in, you know, Hollywood who generally lean towards and kind of typecast Muslim. Because I'm, I'm sure if you talk, like, if I had a Muslim actor, actress right now, she would tell you probably, especially if she wears hijab or if she looks very mm-hmm. uh, brown, that she would be typecasted. And... Mm-hmm. You see a lot of Muslim the the woman. I, have you ever seen the um, show uh, Quantico? Yes, but I stopped watching because I couldn't deal with how <laughs> they portrayed everybody. I assume, that. but which is interesting because that 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 show, if if anyone's not seen it, should just Google it just to understand the the overall plot of the story. But the heroine is actually an Indian, right? Right. But what's interesting is in the show, she doesn't have an accent. Priyanka yes. actually has an accent in real life, right? It's almost like a British right. accent, but it's a British right. Indian accent. In the exactly. show, I don't believe she has much of an accent. No. Um, no, she's supposed to play an American. Yeah, and she's the heroine. Um, even though she does get, I think, accused of being a terrorist, yes. right? Um, yes. And then there's the girl who, <laughs> Yeah, and then there's the girl who is a hijabi but it's like a twin and like there's all these sexualized scenes of her taking it off. And so, yeah, it's very frustrating watching it because you're just kind of like, are you serious? Like I watch it sometimes and I get lost into the plot, but then I take a step back and I think about it and I'm just like, this is kind of ridiculous. And you can tell that there's like, they don't have a subject matter expert like on scene or like, I don't know if they've reached out to like Muslims or actually asked people when they cast these type of things. But, you know, I was... So I, I told you I was at this Muslims of the World book event. And like one of the things that the author was talking about was marketing. So his, he, his degree was in marketing. 
And he was saying how Islamophobia is a huge marketing scheme. We don't realize it, but it is because it's painting a picture of who we are. And he, he goes deeper into Islamophobia and the marketing of that actually has it like it's infiltrated into our own communities and into our youth for them to have issues with their identity as a Muslim because they start believing or they start having resentment towards their identity because of what people are um, saying about their identity. And so to cut this long tangent short, what I'm saying is, is like there's a picture painted of us. And like I said, it's either the hijab is sexualized. It's either the woman is struggling with you know, wanting to be with her boyfriend or running away from her family or honor killings. Like these are, you know, your SVU, your, you know, all these criminal and law shows, these are the issues. And so, yeah, we're out here trying to do these things of like portraying who we are and then bringing also women onto our platforms. But I don't know how much change that will have. And I don't know if what we need to do more, if that makes sense. So it, it definitely does. And I think one of the things that we struggle with with being Muslim and being in the U.S. is that it is either seen as a tool, the religion is used as a tool. So if it's a woman who takes off her job for the first time because mm-hmm. she's found a cute boy, okay, well, that might happen, but I know very few hijabis that have actually done that in real life. Mm-hmm. Maybe none, probably none. I, I think, think most one girls, if you I ask do. them, it's it's a, just a struggle with the idea of hijab, which is normal yes. and it's natural. Exactly, exactly. Which, right, exactly. It's a normal reaction. So we either have that, that it's a tool to portray somebody's sexuality, that now she has become so liberated, she has become so westernized, Mm -hmm. or it's used as a way to say, oh, look at her. She's off limits. She doesn't understand. She's exotic, too. She's exotic. And so I think not only do we have to grapple with it in our everyday life, but our relatives and our society sees us as this, these people that don't quite fit what they know to be true. So, right, you wear hijab, I don't wear hijab. But if I walk down the street, nobody's going to ask me if I celebrate Christmas. They're going to assume that I don't celebrate Christmas. Not that they know what I celebrate, but nobody would ask my husband that, do you celebrate Christmas or not? They just say Merry Christmas. So it's interesting seeing how that really affects our everyday lives. So I took a, we talked a little bit about this before. Oh, I took yeah. a mental health and co- pop culture class. Yes. And so I found something that was very interesting that pop culture as we know it really came about with the tabloids. And that was not, it was, it just started in the 18th century that they really got into putting out tabloids and putting out pop culture. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to have a way to connect people and so that people could relate and people could understand each other and have a social icebreaker and all these different things. Well, then people like our parents weren't here in the 18th century. So when they finally showed up, they didn't become a part of the, a part of the pop culture. Mm-hmm. And is that why that happened, that we feel so isolated? Or did it happen because as we walk around and as we look around, we see things that don't reflect mm-hmm. us? So I, I think it's because it's very hard to be empathetic to somebody that you are afraid of. And unfortunately, because we are portrayed as the bad guys or the exotic ones or the different ones, people are afraid to get to know us. And they're afraid to 
try and understand us. That doesn't mean it will be like that forever. Obviously, people are marrying out. People are going out, having friends of different skin colors and religions and all sorts of things. But I think some of those things have really come into our lives and affected us in just unseen ways. And I think it really presents itself, or at least for myself, I see it when I meet someone who maybe grew up in a small town or just not around Arabs, Muslims, and they meet me for the first time and they literally have no clue how (laughs) to have some type of idea of me. You know, it's not like they're just meeting another person. They're trying to understand what can they say to me? How am I going to be? Am I going to be like very quiet and shy? Um, Am I going to be outspoken? Can they, if it's males, it's like, can they speak to me? But also once they kind of pass that, you know, curiosity stage and they actually do start talking to me, then I, I actually find out more about what their preconceived ideas of Muslims was prior to meeting me once we get to talking. And it's always just really interesting because I'm very inquisitive and I'm always like, so what did, what did you know? Or like, what were your perceptions? Like, where did you get these ideas? And it's always from the media. I mean, it doesn't have to just be from fiction, right? It doesn't have to be from the shows and the movies. We all, we all know that that exists. Um, and it's perpetuating it, obviously, but also just the regular media, the media that's supposed to be, you know, true and honest and um, objective, which, you know, doesn't always happen. But that in itself, it's like the way that they portray Muslims or the way that they speak about Muslims. And I think, you know, just growing up, I've seen from 9-11 all the different things that Muslims have had to endure when it comes to the media. And it's like, can they build mosques here? Can they build um, funeral, uh, I'm sorry, not funeral, graveyards? Because we Mm -hmm. bury humans or uh, corpses different than, you know, we don't put them Mm -hmm. in a casket type of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think people, like you said, right, people don't, when they see us then, it doesn't reconcile with what they think of as a Muslim or what they think of as an American. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at you and they're trying to figure out, well, first of all, where are you from? Mm-hmm. And how did you get here? Because you don't look like the people that they see on TV. Which is even if you're covered I, I like could them. probably, I mean, I could ask anyone that same question and they should have mm-hmm. an answer unless they're Native American or you know, Mexican <laughs> in my case, because you know, a lot yeah. of Mexicans are, are indigenous to this land but they have these ideas and it's from the media and or it's from pop culture and then you're you're slowly like kind of chiseling away at those stereotypes and those preconceived ideas because they're getting to know you as a human and after a point in time i really do think that the the hijab almost becomes invisible in a way Mm -hmm. but like you come out as a person and then they realize like you really are just like anybody else like i watch the office i go hiking like i you have, have an inappropriate sense of humor exactly you like yeah. yeah i'm a creative person <laughs> like i complain about how much taxes are pulled out of my paycheck like i'm a politically <laughs> active person like i'm i have most of my conversations at the end of the day aren't about who i am and sure my opinions are going to be influenced by my religion by my culture by my upbringing but so is everyone else's that doesn't make me different. It makes my opinions different. It doesn't make me different because just like them, they're influenced by their religion, by their culture, by their upbringing. Whether they're a first-generation 
um, kid or, you know, they have a long line of history here in the U United States. It doesn't matter, but it's had some type of influence. It doesn't mean that their influence is any more important or valid than mine. You know what I mean? Right. At the end of the day, it's who right. you are as a person. Right. And I think one of the hard things is untangling that for people and showing them that Definitely. they do have an influence as well. We had... My husband and I have had a lot of conversations about how do we introduce things to our friends and our families and show them that what we're doing is just like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I shared with my in-laws is that growing up, we didn't celebrate Christmas, but my parents always drove us around to see the Christmas lights right. because they're really pretty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and why not? And I said, we always did the Jewish thing or in the Muslim thing where we would have movies in Chinese every year for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And they said, we don't, what does that mean? And I was like, well, there, there's a running joke for people who don't celebrate Christmas that they, the only things open are the movie theaters and Chinese food. <laughs> and so now they want to do that as part That's of their cute. tradition. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, but how do you talk about that with people and how do you share with them that you are just as influenced, if not more, by what you see around you and what you continue to see around you and continue to build on that we, as we are, just yeah. because I can point back one generation doesn't mean that you don't have traditions and you don't have things that you do that right. also influence who you are. Right. You know? It might and, not be as different than mm -hmm. the culture we know today living here in the united states but it's still your culture you know it's still your traditions yep absolutely absolutely and i lived in dc for the last few years and that was a really interesting experience as well because we went to a group down there that never met in a masjid hardly ever during eid and ramzan sometimes but yeah. sorry, I can't do the Arabic pronunciation. Ramadan. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, I can't do that. Ramzan. <laughs> um, we were at the masjid, but that was it. The rest yeah. of the time we would meet at schools. We met outside. We met at parks, all sorts of things. Hmm. But that, that just added to the community aspect of it, that we were able to bring in people who were just curious about what Islam is. Mm -hmm. And they could come in and not feel like they were being judged if they walked in in t-shirt and shorts. Yeah, or that they were going to be like, you know, try, try to be converted or like. Yes, yes. Or tried to be saved, right? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, term. I think people have to recognize, Muslims have to recognize. I, I understand there's, there's the responsibility of da'wah to us, on us mm -hmm. as Muslims. But I think we have to understand where the person is at their life and like, you have to be very. Where they like, are in their head, right? But yeah, they have interest because like, I feel like da'wah is something that it could either go really good or really bad. Like there's certain people that you just don't give da'wah to or at least not at that time because it's just, you know, it might come off as wrong. And also how you do it is very important, right? And every every person mm -hmm. you approach might be different. But, you know, someone's curious about Islam, you're going to give them the honest truth. You're going to give them, you know, your experience with it, your passion about your own religion and like be a, of service and available to them if they're interested. But I feel like some people, it's just their first step and you don't want to overwhelm them. Like they just want right. to know about Muslims because they feel like they they think they know so much about us. 
but mm-hmm. have they actually met a Muslim? And you know, there's these like social experiments of like hug a Muslim or meet a Muslim or these things that yeah. people are doing because <laughs> literally exposure is the best way to kind of combat these stereotypes and these preconceived ideas of, of who we are. And I think that if we want people to take a step forward towards us to learn about us, we have to make that first step sometimes. And I think that that's okay. Yeah. Like, I like you, that took, you took that step forward with your in-laws who aren't uh, brown and who aren't Muslim to tell them about your traditions, but they also took a step forward and wanted to create some more traditions with you, you know, and try to understand that. And it's, and it's funny and it brings you guys closer. But I always tried to tell people like there's very little that would insult me or like upset me you know I I don't think it's what you say it's how you say it you can say something really ignorant to me but if you say it in a way where I genuinely can see that for whatever circumstances unfortunately you were just fed the wrong information or you were sheltered and Mm -hmm. like never you know you lived in a very homogeneous community and like you only were around the people who were just like you then that's fine I'm Arab okay Arabs are racist (laughs) too Sometimes they get their own kind. So I have to, I mean, I'm understanding of that and I think it's ridiculous, but I also can see how growing up where you don't have diversity and you don't meet other people. Yeah, like you're going to be very limited with your resources of information on those people and you're going to only believe what you know. And so I always say like, just ask me anything. Like even if you think it's going to be not politically correct or it might be tone deaf, it's okay. Like I'd rather it come to me because I feel like maybe I can help you untangle that and like figure it out and then I can also maybe maybe make you feel comfortable to actually speak more because if we push them away or if we get agitated or we get upset then we're just pushing them away if they genuinely are curious this podcast is sponsored by Talkspace May is mental health awareness month and Talkspace the leading virtual therapy provider is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy by talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace You'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Yes, absolutely. And I remember when I made friends with one of my very good friends to this day, her, her family is very Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And her mother always used to say the same thing to her growing up, that just figure out as much as you can about the people around you. doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they believe. Just learn about the people around you because at the end of the day, that's what you have. You have that knowledge and you can go forward. So I remember right when we had become friends, she asked me one day, is it true that Muslims can't have dogs as pets? And I was like, what? And she said, is it true that Muslims can't have dogs as pets? I said, I don't know. I've never heard that. But I, let's Google it. I don't I don't know. And she said she was at the gas station and she met this guy who saw her dog and asked, can I pet it? I'm Muslim and I can't have dogs in my house. 
So she and I sat together and we Googled it. And, you know, there's, of course, like 15,000 results. You don't want to, you know, parse through all that. But it opened up that conversation with us. And, you know, then I went and talked to people in my group, my Muslim group. I went and talked to people that I respected and I cared that they cared enough to ask. Um, And wouldn't, you know, be insulted that I'm asking something that, but it's just interesting that we have those, we think that everybody knows so many things about their own religion and their own way of life, but we just like they do have questions. Yeah. And we also don't know everything about our religion. I feel like people (laughs) think that I know everything about Islam because I'm so Because you wear a hijab. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i'm like yeah. no like i can't pull up a bible verse for you and you're gonna know what it means or like yeah. know about like most people actually understand christmas in the cultural sense and not in the religious sense like they might know about the nativity scene and the three wise men and all that stuff right that's all like christmas so. right so but like do they actually know you're the, the wrong person <laughs> so but you know what i mean like they understand it in a cultural sense and so but i feel like because we are the other or the difference or let's just say we're the the token ones the explainers we're the token ones yeah we're the ones who are we're seeing like people it's not like i remember when i was really young in elementary school i would tell people i'm muslim they didn't even know what that was kids yeah you know oh people Um, would say what's pakistan is that like a place yeah, and, and, and it's really unfortunate because the way that people have been exposed and become aware is not by good means necessarily, it's been by bad means. And I, I mean, granted, we have like Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and people who were Muslims and good examples of just good good people in in the American community. You know, what stuck was what happened 9-11 and moving forward. And then people knew what a Muslim was. But again, it was like kind of this picture that was painted of us. And we're having to constantly explain ourselves. And and like this has become a task for us as modern day Muslims is we're constantly having to be like, no, 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 this is not how it is. And having to and also letting people know that what I'm telling them I, I can say some things, I, I can say some things and say this is the majority of Muslims, but I also can say some things and say this is my interpretation, this is my belief, because again, just like Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Sikhs, whatever it is, everyone still interprets religion differently, and everyone still interprets, or I guess you could say balances culture, modernity, religion, mm-hmm. whatever, like all that you're, everything that's in your environment differently, and so like even as a person, like, I think also another thing with hijab is people think that you can go from one hijabi to the other and that we're all going to be like carbon copies of each other. You know what I mean? Oh, but the last hijabi I talked to had a boyfriend. Oh, but the last hijabi I talked to left to go, like her parents let her go to school, you know, uh, out of state. Oh, but the last hijabi I talked to said she couldn't, uh, you know, leave home until she was married. Like that, that has, that, that's so multifaceted and that is depends on so many things how you know how conservative you are not just within your religion but within your culture like how your upbringing was are you in a single family household what's the socioeconomic status like they don't understand that it's just so much deeper than just the surface level stuff you know what i mean do you ever find that so i had this experience a lot that when you had to explain one question right the answer to one question 
five more would pop up. Yep. And then you'd have to try and balance that with the not all Muslims and not all people and not all Yemenis and not all this and not all that. And did you ever just find it exhausting? Because sometimes I just find it very exhausting. I mean, and I want to say, ask somebody else. <laughs> it's, it is exhausting, but I'm such an extroverted person. And this is something I'm actually really passionate about. So I almost feel sorry for the person that's asking because I'm like, you're asking, so you better take it all in because I'm about to give you a whole lot of opinions and knowledge <laughs> because, you know, you've opened that that can of worms and I feel like now it's not just my responsibility, but it's my right to have this time with you. Like if you're if you're going to want to kind of be curious about my life, which I welcome and I'm open to, I hope that I would be given the respect and the time and the space to say what I need to say and that they're open-minded and that they are considerate and empathetic and understanding even if let's say they're not accepting but tolerant of what I have to say because I, I do talk to people who are really really just they understand and they believe but they're just like but that's just you like mm -hmm. you know kind of yeah just because I'm talking to you like no you're a little different and they start picking out all the little things about me that makes me different and why I'm like the, one of the good ones, you know. I don't know if you've ever gotten that. Oh, like maybe, maybe as a non-hijabi, so <laughs> because I, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen people with me, and I've seen people with my friends who are non-hijabis, mm -hmm. and they look at the ones non-hijabis as like good for you. You know, like they I don't understand. That. They don't understand mm -hmm. that I don't view her like that, and she doesn't view me any differently. But they look at the one who's non-hijabi and they're like, good for you. Like, you're a step ahead. Like, you're assimilating. You're, you know what I mean? So we've gotten, I've gotten, I've gotten that a lot. That, oh, your parents must be so liberal. That's always the comment that I get. Oh, but you look different, but your parents must be liberal because you wear whatever you want. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know what I wear yeah. <laughs> every single day and every right. single minute of every single day. But actually one of, so... The imam who married us married this wonderful woman down in D.C. And she said that, you know, when they got married, she started putting on hijab. She was she had been Muslim for several years, but she had not worn the hijab before. And a lot of people were very confused by it. And a couple of people at her gym were a little bit weird with her. And she said, well, you know, this is my gym. This is my place where I go. And finally, one day, this woman called her up and said, I get it now. You're not all the same. And she said, uh, yes, we're not all the same. And she's white, I should mention. She's white and he's Indonesian. And her, so this woman said, you're not all the same. You know, I thought when you put on the hijab, you were so different. And you're so different. And she said, well, what changed your mind? And she said, oh, well, I saw my Zumba teacher after class. And she put on a hijab and put on, like, covered-up clothes. Uh-huh. And she said, so your Zumba teacher was your gateway Muslim. Yeah. And so that's what my friends and I have termed it, that, you know, my husband, he's blonde hair, blue eyes, very Swedish, Irish, Catholic, German background, everything yeah. European in there. Yeah. So people don't assume he's Muslim. So when they talk to him about, oh, all Muslims this, or all Arabic speakers he's this. He's like, I'm Muslim. He says, actually, I'm Muslim. And he, this has happened to him, where he yeah. said that. 
that he says, I'm your gateway Muslim. <laughs> so instead of, so we've taken out the tokenization of it and used yeah. it as a way to say, hey, we're trying, we're bridging yeah. that gap. And I think the exhausting part for me is when people are not tolerant or not wanting to learn. They just want to say what they want to say and tell me that I'm different and not like them for whatever yeah. reason. So I had a woman tell me a couple of days ago, she was talking to me about the news and she said, you know, I'm so tired of turning on the news. And it's not that I don't think that these people are bad, but it's just exhausting and it's just tiring. And don't you ever feel like that? And I said, well, you know what? I don't mean any offense when I say this, but I will say it. I don't come from a place where I can turn off the news because unfortunately anything that is said about Muslims, I will hear about it the next day. Mm -hmm. Anything that is said about a person of color, I will hear about it the next day. Anything that is said about anything besides somebody who is white, I will hear about it the next day. Yeah. I mean, everything's with its intention. Yeah. I think people need to be a little bit more forgiving towards certain things that people say because again some people are ignorant to things not Mm -hmm. on purpose and not it's not bigoted it's just they really just don't know but they have good intentions and you can always spot those people out because they usually are are very zealous and very like excited and maybe make a comment and you're just like ooh, like don't say that but it's fine you know because you know that they're they're trying to be respectful in a way or praising you or your culture or whatever it is um, and like, I remember my friend once was at the mall and like some lady tapped her on the shoulder and said, you're in America now. You don't need to dress that way. And she was wearing a skirt, like a long skirt and like a shirt and a, like a blouse. Mm-hmm. And she walked away and I, I told like my friend, I was, like, yeah. I was like, I was like, did you say anything? She was like, no. And I was like, man, like this never happens to me. And like, I'm the outspoken one. Like, I wish someone would say that to me, which is interesting because you think you could say something. Until you're in that situation. So, like, I remember someone said something to me and I was walking, but she just passed by me and said something. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember I was on the phone and I started laughing. And I was like, oh, my God, this lady just said something about um, Islam and, like, hijab or something. And now I think back and I'm like, oh, I should have said something. But in that moment, you're just so caught off guard. And and they they do this thing where they say and they walk away because they know you're just so taken back by the bluntness, you know? Um, But... I feel like people like you, people like myself, we are outspoken, obviously not just within the people that we're around, but we've, we've tried to find these different ways through these different avenues of platforms to speak about these experiences, to normalize the conversations about Muslim women, to normalize and humanize Muslim women, who we are as we are. And I think that moving forward, inshallah, there's more and more women that are going to be more open more outspoken about their experience and Mm -hmm. I think on a one-to-one basis women are but I just don't know if like I just wish that we had a larger presence in in the greater in the greater picture and I wish Mm -hmm. that we had more of a say in the type of representation and like granted there's representation now more than ever right especially with the fashion industry and like having someone like Halima who's an IMG model, I think she's an IMG model, but like, you know, modeling for, for Vogue and 
being on the runway as a hijabi dressed in completely modest clothing by these high-end designers having nike you know have a um, the fashion hijab the sports the, hijab right the athletic hijab the, the 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 conversation is there and and sometimes i understand that there's kind of this frustration because it's only when it's capitalized when there's a benefit when people benefit mm-hmm. from us and from our stories and from our identities are they willing to like be champions for us but at this point i'm just kind of like ugh, like i'll take it but i'll also mm-hmm. try to be a part of solving that and like being more than just a token or being more than just the kind of basic knowledge of what a muslim woman is you know yeah we cover our heads and yeah so but i mean i think you've done that with this podcast you've done a very good job of showing that we are multifaceted people and we are not just Muslim women are not just one type of woman. We are yeah. all different types of women from all different parts of the world, from all different walks of life. Yeah. And we have things to say just like anybody else. I mean, I just finished a book last night that was about an Indian Muslim family mm-hmm. living in the United States, post 9-11 as well. So it starts out and you don't know what the time frame is at the beginning of it, but then there's a part that references 9-11 and then there's a part that references the 2016 election so you know it's sometime after that but it was interesting because for the first time I didn't feel like then being Muslim was used as a plot device Mm -hmm. it was used as just part of who they were so they were talking about their beliefs and how they practiced and how they prayed but they also talked about what they wore for weddings and how when they were little, their parents would teach them these stories. And these stories happened to be Islamic stories, right? About mm-hmm. the prophet and about um, his followers and all of that. But it wasn't like they're so different from us. It was like, oh, they also have stories that are interesting and that are about the moon and about the sun and about the stars. Yeah. <laughs> like anybody when they're little. Um, and I think the other exciting thing is that we are in a time right now where for the first time we are seeing so many authors write about this experience. You know, for so many years, it was just the namesake is the book that you should read if you are Mm -hmm. Brown and American. Mm -hmm. And that was it. You didn't have anything else to turn to. And the namesake is great. I finally read it for the first time last year and I was blown away by some of the parts that she just sneaks in as, you know, well understood pieces of the book. But we have shows like The Night Of with Riz Ahmed, where even the smallest, smallest, smallest detail in that script, when he switches into Urdu so that the people can't understand him, and his mother tells him to do that in Urdu, is something that would very much happen in a Pakistani household, right? Mm -hmm. That they just say, switch into our language. And we have literature now that has these stories of people who are Muslim American or people who are born somewhere else and brought up here. It's so exciting to see that. And I hope that, yes, right now it's a lot of the capitalization in the, you know, in the fashion industry and in the modeling industry, but maybe slowly with seeing it in movies and seeing it in books, people will slowly at least start to notice that we are normal. We also are pretty, we're pretty flawed people, just like everybody else. Right. Like, I think, I mean, there's, there's subtle nuances within, 
us as a people like mm -hmm. and I'm not I mean we can I mean you're you're a different cultural background than I am we mm -hmm. have similarities right and, mm -hmm. and there's there's some similarities and some of it ties back to our the the religion and some of it doesn't it just it's like mm -hmm. you know maybe coming from that side of the world in that region but yeah I don't know how else like when I tell people let's celebrate the the diversity and like you were talking about um about being muslim and like having that title in humans of new york whenever a, a story was posted and it was a muslim all the muslims would get really excited right because we'd be like oh my god mm -hmm. that's like a muslim and and mm -hmm. she w but it's also interesting because you don't really oftentimes tie a person's religion to their identity immediately mm -hmm. the same way mm -hmm. that we do with ourselves and and, and i'm not mad at it if I felt like we were represented properly and there wasn't already a stigma towards us or a stereotype because I'm Muslim and I'm not ashamed of it. And obviously I wear hijab, so I'm very like um, mm -hmm. outwardly mm -hmm. Muslim. But it's like it's the first thing that's going to click in someone's mind. And then what, depending on what those first whatever their idea of a Muslim is, is going to be kind of what is going to come to mind first. And so I think about other people and it's like, you might not see it because we don't tie your Christianity or, you know, your ancestry to your identity. It has influence in it. You just don't see it because you've never experienced it being attached to your story right. from the get-go. You've never you had talk, to have it attached to you. Yeah, but then you talk to people and it's like, I have friends who do a certain, they date, but it's still like the courtship type of thing. And these are non-Muslims. Um mm -hmm. And it's because they're, you know, either they're um, really like even evangelical Christians or like really kind of more orthodox, more traditional type of Christians or even like Jews or whatever religion it is. They're coming from something that is traditional to them, but from the outside, no one immediately goes to that and like associates every other Christian or every other experience that they've had with the Christian to that person's christian identity the same way that yes. they would with yes. me as a muslim and yes. my muslim identity yes. you know yes yes when we lived in Colombia last year we had that happen so often where if first people thought i was indian like you said people default to indian yeah. and then if i said no then they said are you muslim and i'd say yes and then that they'd ask me a million questions about being muslim anytime i go somewhere and somebody hears that I'm Muslim or that my family is Pakistani, which you have to figure out pretty quickly because I don't, you know, I don't look like a lot of other people that are around me because I live in a very non-diverse place. People immediately ask a lot of questions to that too, right? So my identity is constantly tied to things that I have no control over. And mm -hmm. like you said, these are things that I'm proud of. I'm so proud that my parents immigrated over here and mm -hmm. built a life for themselves and built a life for my sister and me. I don't have any control over being born Muslim. I have a control over continuing to practice to this day, but I'm proud of the fact that I still practice to, the day, to this day. I'm proud of celebrating Eid and celebrating Ramadan and going out with my friends for Sayyidi and Iftar and all that, right? I'm not ashamed of that. But it's interesting that like you said, it is so attached to us all the time. There's no way to even, not even just escape it, but just put it aside for a second and say, hey, listen, I'm a human too. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you have cultural baggage just like I have cultural baggage. I always, I mean, I use my husband as an example because he's a funny example to use, but his family is Swedish. And I got really upset one day. We were watching the news and I said, please don't let it be an Arab name. Please don't let it be an Arab name Girl, because it's some all bad. Make, we all make that dua whenever yeah. we see something on yeah. TV. Right. Please, no Muhammad, no Ali. No. Yes, <laughs> no Ali, no Ali. That's what I said, no Ali, please. And he said, well, you know, the guy that was in Norway a couple of years ago had my name. And I said, and how many people have brought that up to you? Oh, how many point. people have actually asked you that? Yeah, and it's not like when they I first said, meet him, they're like, oh. Right. <laughs> tell me. Tell me about that time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, he, and he just looked at me and I said, so your my stereotype is the bad guy, right? Like, it's the bad guy when we're watching the news and I'm hoping that it's not somebody, you know, like with a name like mine. What's your bad stereotype? And without, like breaking character he just goes the Swedish chef on Sesame Street and I was like the what and he said (laughs) (laughs) the Swedish chef who only makes Swedish meatballs Mm. and I was like right okay let's examine that for a second and so from that I've talked to my friends who are white, my friends who are brown, my friends who are black, my friends who are all different colors, just to try and, and that's not even all the colors, obviously, but trying to figure out, okay, how do we talk about this in a way that it's positive and uplifting? And we're actually learning from this. And we're saying, we're not tokenizing you either, because I don't believe all hijabis feel like this, or all Yemenis feel like this, or all Pakistanis feel like this. Mm -hmm. How do I talk about it to you as one specific person? But it's really not easy, and especially in the states where people want to just lump us in really quickly. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because um, it's not just the Muslim identity. Like for me, it's the Yemeni identity too, because there's a large population where I live and in California, but we're kind of dispersed in different clusters. And so you'll have someone who has those kind of like token Yemeni friends, right? And it's always funny because when they meet me, the first thing they want to tell me is the other person's business that they met. So, and I'm always like, ooh, don't share that information with me. Like, I don't need to know that. But they're just like, so I'll tell them, like, if, if a guy uh, asks for my number or something, I'm like, you know, what? I don't give out my number. I don't date like that. And, like, you know, I'm only interested in someone who's the same faith as me. Why know this other Yemeni girl? And this and that. And I'm like, why? I don't attach whatever your ethnic or religious background is and say, well, the last, you know, uh, Hispanic guy that talked to me didn't ask for my number. So why are you like, you know what I mean? They immediately associate ourselves with each other and they expect us to like all magically align because we're different. And I understand because there's not a lot of exposure to us, but they just assume that all Yemeni women are going to be the same. All Muslim women are going to be the same. So it gets a little frustrating because I don't think that we ever align a Christian who is outwardly Christian and like vocal about being Christian with someone else's values that is also Christian. Right. If they make some type of moral decision to abstain from something or participate in something, you wouldn't make that association because the last Christian you knew or the only other Christian you know 
does this. There might be instances, but it's really rare. I feel like not in, in the same way that we would experience it. Absolutely. You know? And by and large, I don't think people do that because they don't have to. They have so many examples yeah. to pick from. Yeah, right? They don't have Hassan Minhaj and Aziz Ansari. They have <laughs> everyone everybody else. else. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's why we're in these positions, though, in these like stuck positions that people can only see us in one specific light and only one specific way. So I remember growing up, so I am like you outwardly Muslim in the sense that, you know, I wear a surah around my neck. I pray. I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't. But the biggest thing was that I don't drink and I've never had alcohol. You, isn't it interesting I've, how fast people notice that about you in social yes. settings? It's one of the first, yes. like, I mean, aside from me wearing hijab, yes. I feel like it's the second thing people notice about me yes. that I do not drink. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I have friends who are Muslim, Muslims who do. And mm-hmm. so when I was growing up and I was very careful to say I do not drink in Islam we're told that we do not drink we do not have any mind-altering substances and that's a big reason why I don't drink there are many reasons that's one of them and so they would say but my friend who's Muslim had alcohol with me last week or he had a beer with me this morning or when you go to college that will change because all the Muslims that I know they grew up in Muslim households didn't stay Muslim because they drank. that association yes or do you think you're not going to be Muslim if you have a sip and yeah. I was like no I don't want one I genuinely don't want one I still don't want one still tastes bad like so I think I'll... people need to understand that if it's so easy to get a drink if you're of age if I yeah. wanted a drink I would have gotten yeah. a drink. I'm right. really actively right. take making the choice to not drink because I really don't want to. And I'm really happy with that decision. Yes. And I don't need someone to convince me that I'm missing out on something. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so I remember that that was it, exactly, that people would assume that, oh, because all the other Muslims that I know drink or they have sex or they do whatever it is they do, that I would be doing those things as well. And because I made the choices that I made in my life, they couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that, oh, Muslims, just like Christians, just like Jews, just like Sikhs, just like Hindus, just like Buddhists, just like everybody else can make those decisions. And it is not up to me to make the decisions for all the Muslims in the world, just it is not up to them to make the decisions for all the other people like them in the world. And so I don't know if you ever felt like that. (laughs) No, God created us with free will. And so I think when it comes to religion, any type of doctrine that uh, sets up certain guidelines and rules, people are going to pick and choose what they can follow and what they decide not to based off of their own personal experience and their own values and what they want to take. Mm -hmm. For example, we don't drink. There's someone that does, but maybe they don't eat pork and people always make that joke or they they make a comment muslims do right Mm -hmm. everyone has the free will to decide and like god gave us that free will because it's at the end of the day we're being judged by him as as our individuals not as a wife not as a daughter not as a mother as as yourself 
we decide we we decide what we want to take from that or not like i think the first thing in in identifying as a muslim obviously is what like the shahada right so as long as you believe in the oneness of of god of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you believe in the messenger then you are a muslim like in your heart you're a muslim what you choose to do or not do is up to you and how that's going to be judged is only known by god not by us obviously we make a lot of judgments as humans because we like to do that as a muslim and as a christian and as a jew everyone's going to pick and choose what they want to practice my parents always told me i remember in seventh grade i had this friend that i really liked and i was like i came home one day to my mom and i was like oh me i just i really like her and i want to be her friend but she, you know she's gonna go to hell because she's a christian and like i don't know what to do yeah and me was like she's gonna go to hell you know she's gonna go to hell are you the one judging her mm-hmm. and she said something to me that i'll never forget like as long as i live she said we are not the ones that judge other people that is not up to us to decide and so i decided from that moment on that if other people are what other people are doing is not how i need to live my life i need to live my life the best that i can in the best way that i can so it's just interesting that we still have to battle those things within our community outside our community and why can't we just have this like understanding that it's okay because we're not the one judging yeah you know we're not <laughs> I think, it's interesting. I think it's interesting because I feel like we kind of went in a circle of like starting off with the way that non-Muslims in our community <laughs> view us and those struggles. And I think this is a good uh, overview of the struggles that you and I face or everyone faces with, with the identity thing, because it also presents itself within our own communities. And so we're struggling with both trying to fit in. I think that as Muslims, Islam tells us to be very, very careful of being arrogant and that like being humble is one of the most and the best characteristics that you can have about yourself. And I think that unfortunately, those type of comments stem from arrogance and Mm -hmm. stem from a place of prestige or privilege. whether it's a hijabi, whether it's a man, whether it's really just anyone who makes comments that are one, unsolicited, and two, you know, uncalled for because they don't know the situation or they don't know you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they're making a generalization. And the second thing I want to say is we have to remember that when we make a judgment on someone, whether it's to their face or behind their back, we are giving them our hasanat and... What does hasanat mean? I don't know. Hasanat is like good deeds. So we have a transaction of I get their good deeds, they get my bad deeds. So whenever someone does something to me that is harmful or they gossip or they make an assumption about me, I they actually give me some of their hasanat and they take some of my sayyat or like my sins. And so that's why they say sometimes people who are vis- visually or outwardly pious turn out to be the ones that aren't really pious at all because every salah that they did, every charity, every every good thing was taken away because they were busy basically spending those good deeds or giving those good deeds away by gossiping and, and talking. And that's such a, such a, you know, there's a reason why God made gossiping such a big issue within the religion because it really does, it 
it causes so much harm in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize that when you talk bad about people, when you backbite, when you backstab, just all these things, the implication it has on someone's life long term, their mm -hmm. self esteem, their relationships, their family, um, their household, like it just it has this effect. And I think we've all maybe experienced it one way or the other, if anyone's ever said anything about you. So that's all I have. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. Um, if you want to like kind of remind everyone about the website and where they can also see your blog. Sure. So the blog is in between American. So it's in between American.wordpress.com. But I also write for Brown Girl magazine. If you're interested in checking that out, I am on both uh, on Instagram with both handles. So my personal account is underscore happy thought Ashraf and at in between American as well on Instagram. And then I have Facebooks and all that associated with the account. But if you follow the Instagram, that's probably the best way because it just links back to the Facebook. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much for doing this and coming on. And I'm so grateful to have had this conversation. And I hope we have more conversations coming up just because I feel like there's so much more that you and I could probably talk about. And inshallah, you have success with all the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, good luck. Yeah, I have everything. my first Yemeni friend. <laughs> yeah. You know what's interesting? I'm becoming that very token Yemeni friend for a lot of East Coasters, especially the ones that don't live in Yemeni communities, like in New York. Like New York, there's like Brooklyn and like Buffalo where there's a lot of Yemeni. But if they're outside, they're like, yeah, I know about Yemen. It's sad what's happening there, but like I don't know a lot of Yemenis, and I'm like, I'm the token Yemeni.